think I'm going. Am I not going? Am I going right now? You guys are still up there. I'm going to make it awkward until you guys leave. Um, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the elders here at the church, and it is my uh, privilege to come and share God's word with you this morning. I uh, feel a little unworthy to do this, um, but I will do my best, so bear with me. I'm uh, teaching from the second chapter of Ruth this morning. Um, I do always want to thank the guys in the back for doing what you guys do. Uh, I think that's important that we acknowledge you guys and your countless service to this church, and so I do always want to say thank you for, for doing what you guys do. So, um, Last time I focused on chapter one of Ruth, and chapter two I think is a little bit more complex for some areas because we int- we're introduced by a new character by the name of Boaz. Uh, and really, we can see God's intimacy working through the lives of this family pretty powerfully. I liked how Pastor Paul, at his last hot topic, mentioned in the very beginning his goals for that Sunday morning. And I'd like to do the same since he's pretty much a Jedi when it comes to preaching. So my purpose, Jedi, that's a Star Wars reference in case you guys didn't get that. But my purpose this morning is to remind, remind everyone where we go for refuge and strength. Now, it may seem fairly obvious. Somehow, though, we make it very complicated. So chapter 1 of Ruth, God's hand falls hard upon Naomi. A famine in Judah, a move to Moab, the death of her husband, the marriage of her two sons to Moabite wives, and the death of her two sons. One blow after another seems to kind of plague her, And uh, it caused Naomi to say in uh, chapter 1, verses 13 and 20, the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I'm going to go a little bit of introduction, then it's a little bit different, then I'll read the passage of study. But let me just kind of overview chapter 1. She's so oppressed by God's bitter hand of providence in her life that she can't see any of the signs of hope that is basically starting to appear. She knows there is a God. She knows he is almighty and rules in the national and personal affairs of men and women. And she knows that he has dealt very bitterly with her. Her life is fairly tragic. What she has forgotten is that in all of the bitter experience of of his children, God is plotting for his glory and their good. You see, there are many times in our lives when bad things happen. And, and, And sometimes the bad outweighs the good. When things are rough and it all seems against you. I know each one of us can probably say that about our lives. We can complain about things, especially financially in today's climate and all the added stress of that. And we believe this and we believe these lies. But if we believe God's word and the truth of God's word and what's proclaimed in Ruth and we remember it, we should not be as blind as Naomi seemed to be when God begins to reveal his grace. The sweet providence as well as bitter comes to Naomi. God lifts the famine and opens a way home for Naomi. He gives her an amazingly devoted and loving daughter-in-law in in the form of Ruth. And he preserves a kinsman redeemer for Naomi's husband uh, from Naomi's husband's line that will someday marry Ruth and preserve the line of the king of kings. But Naomi sees none of this. So at the end of the first chapter, she says to the townspeople of Bethlehem, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has afflicted me 
and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Ruth and bitter Naomi settle in Bethlehem. So in chapter 2, the mercy of God becomes so obvious that even Naomi will recognize it. So let's read Ruth chapter 2 together. Hear now God's holy and perfect word. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman, women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it, to, leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, what, where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, this, the, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides... He said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Thus far the reading of God's holy, amazing, penetrating word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. I thank you for your grace and your mercy that allows us to even be here. 
one more Sunday where we get to worship you. Lord, please be glorified in the words that I speak right now. And may you be lifted up in all of our lives as we listen. Give us ears to hear the word you'd have us listen to, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in verses 1 through 7, we meet Boaz. We see the character of Ruth, and we sense a very merciful providence behind this scene. So Boaz, we learn, is a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's long-deceased husband. Immediately, we realize, immediately, that things aren't nearly as bleak as they seem to be and that Naomi suggested at the end of chapter 1, where she gives this impression that there was no one for Ruth or Orpah to marry to carry on the line of her husband's. For the person reading the story for the first time, Boaz is like this crack, bright crack in the cloud of this ominous cloud over Naomi's life. And it's just going to get bigger and bigger, this bright crack. For example, verse 1 says that he is a man of wealth. Now, that's kind of significant in the fact that a man of wealth will be caring for this very poor family. They had nothing. They had nothing to go off of. They had to go and beg for food is what Naomi, I mean, what Ruth was doing. But more important than that, verse shows that he is a man of God. It's so much more important. Why else would the storyteller pause to record the way Boaz greeted his servants? Ruth 2.4, Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. That's pretty significant. If you want to know a man's relationship to God... You need to find out how far God has permeated the details of his everyday life. Evidently, Boaz was such a God-centered man that his farming business and his relationship to his servants and his employees was shot through with God. He greeted them with God. And we'll see in a minute that these were more than just pious platitudes. Could that be said of the men here in this church? I find it interesting because when I say this, I can hear people say to me, Dan, that wouldn't really work today, greeting people in the name of the Lord. Why? Why would greeting people in the name of the Lord not work today? Why would it be seen as cheesy at best and ready for ridicule at worst? I think it's because it shows our own character or lack thereof. Now, I say this because I was doing this message, and so I wanted to try to apply it I don't want to be a hypocrite. So there's a gas station near here that I frequent not only for last-minute gas, but in case I need sugar for my diabetes. I've gone in there enough over the course of these past six or so years that I've worked here, and I know the workers by name. They know me. They even buy me tamales on Wednesdays, which is pretty phenomenal. It's wonderful. Just the other day, I walked in, and I tried this. I said, God bless you guys. <laughs> I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> they both stopped and were shocked. They knew I was working in the ministry, but they didn't know what to say. And I'm fairly sarcastic sometimes, and so I had a little banter with them. And then I left and I said, make sure you are kind to one another today. And they looked at me like I was an alien, <laughs> like I was crazy. But who cares? In a world that is increasingly hostile to the gospel, we have every opportunity to go against the grain. Remember that illustration that we've seen probably on kids' t-shirts or maybe posters for kids where one fish is swimming against a bunch of other fish? 
There's a reason why that stuff was created in the first place. It's not just for kids. Yet too often, we are not like Boaz, and we swim with what everybody else is doing. We don't go against the grain. We swim with the rest of the culture. Now, all the single ladies in here, all the single ladies, I was going to sing that, but I won't. You know you all thought about that. Let me just challenge you. A man like Boaz is not impossible to find. Look at Ruth. In fact, you may feel akin to Naomi here, and there, there seems to be no hope, no, no prospects for your future, but perhaps there's a crack in these clouds that seem to be overhanging you. I mean, there, Ruth had no concept. She didn't go with Naomi to Bethlehem thinking, I'm going to find a husband there. She was without hope, except she had hope in God. If we just have eyes to see that, Boaz feared God. Too many guys care more about the outside, the way they look, their drip, as my son would say, more than the way they act. And guys like that should be avoided at all costs, ladies. It's the man of God that you should be seeking for and becoming a woman of God. Besides meeting Boaz in verses 1 through 7, we see the character of Ruth. Now, this is crazy to me. It's such a, a beautiful picture of a woman of God. You see, the first thing we see about Ruth is she takes initiative to care for Naomi, her mother-in-law. Not her mom, but her mother-in-law. Notice in verse 2, Naomi does not command Ruth to go get out where she's like, you're being lazy today. Just can't you work today? But Ruth says, no, I'm going to go out today because we need help. She says, let me go to the field and glean along among the grain, ears of grain. Ruth has committed herself to Naomi with amazing devotion, and she takes the initiative to work and provide for her. Now, I think a note needs to be said here about entitlement. If you, knew, if you notice, Ruth had absolutely nothing. In a culture that constantly looks for handouts today, from the government, from work, from everywhere, we see a woman committed to working hard and honestly. I just recently saw a meme on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok that often, but... <laughs> elders, I'm not on TikTok that often, but... There was this meme of this girl who was bawling her eyes out because she had to work an eight-hour day. That's all I'll say about that. We like handouts. I don't know if you guys think that you've received any, but um, when I got those stimulus checks, I was pretty excited. See, I think this speaks volumes to the kind of woman Ruth was. She didn't sit and wait. She took the initiative and went out and made something happen. She didn't just sit on her couch. And when Christ compels us and challenges us to go and make disciples of all nations, he's not saying on your couch. He's not saying just sit and wait. Oh, poor guy. He's not saying those things. He's not just saying just stay in your living room. Stay in your garage. He's saying you need to go out and make things happen. The second thing we see is Ruth's humility. 
We see Ruth's humility. She, she knows how to take initiative without being presumptuous. In verse 7, the servants report that Boaz had, uh, she, they had seen her approach them that morning, and she said, please let me go glean, gather among. She does not demand a handout. She requests. She pleads. She does not presume or even um, that, that it's her right to go get these things. All she wants to do is gather up the leftovers after the reapers are done, and she asks permission to do that. She's like another foreign woman who came to Jesus in Matthew 15. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, not even the dogs. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Such grace. The Lord said, Lord, even the dogs under the table is what this lady says. Eat the children's crumbs, to which Jesus responded by extolling her faith. Ruth knows how to take initiative, but she is not presumptuous or pushy, but meek and humble. And the third thing we see about Ruth is that she has, the way she works, she has industry, so to speak. She's an amazing worker. Verse 7 continues, she has continued from early morning until now without resting for a moment. Verse 17 goes on to say that she actually did this until evening. And then before she quit, she goes out. She beats out what she gleaned, measured it, and took it home to Naomi. There's no doubt about what the writer wants us to understand about Ruth, a godly woman. That's what we see a picture here. And I wonder, do we have those godly women here? She's humble and meek, does not put herself forward presumptuously. She was not entitled she wasn't on a corner of a street with a sign. She was taking initiative. Initiative, lowliness, industry, worthy traits. I think we should keep our eyes open for them again. Before we leave verses 1 through 7, did you guys sense something in this passage? Notice verse 3. So she went out. She set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. She happened to come? Sometimes I read the Bible, and I admit that I put a lot of my personality in it, which I should not do, but I just found this really funny. I mean, you can't, I mean, seriously, just relax a little bit. I know this is Sunday morning, but it's pretty funny that the writer would say she just happened there's no accidents with God. You don't have to write your theology in every single line. Sometimes it's important and, and good to leave something ambiguous for us to kind of get a chance to fill in the blanks here. The answer will be given later, and it will be. In fact, Naomi, with her grand theology of God's sovereignty, is the one who will give the answer. The answer is God. There are no mistakes. There's no happenstance. The merciful providence of God guiding Ruth every step of the way as she even gleans. Ruth happened 
to come to Boaz's field. Because God is gracious and sovereign even when he seems to be silent. My entire life has been one of difficulties, as many of you know. But it wasn't always like that. Even now I struggle with health issues. I would have never guessed I'd be doing what I'm doing right now. When I was 11 years old, I began playing golf. It's probably the best sport in the history of the world. I'm biased. It's much better than volleyball. (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble for that. And then I began playing tournaments, and I did really well. So my dad put me into golf lessons, and I began winning. And my high school career was literally spent on the golf course. After school would get out, my parents would drop me off at the golf course, and they would pick me up when it got dark. And I didn't complain too much. I even played behind Tiger Woods a few times in tournaments. Not that I was anywhere near him. Even amidst my diseases and surgeries, all I wanted to do was become a professional golfer. But God had other plans. Before I knew it, instead of playing golf at USC, which was my plan, I found myself surfing at Point Loma in San Diego and fixating on this one young girl in my orientation group. I remember seeing Kelly for the first time. You could say that I was inspired. I couldn't get her out of my mind. I had no desire to date anyone, neither did she, yet three weeks into college, neither one of us had character, and we were dating each other, and we didn't stop for seven years. I was in Palm Desert later on, because I decided to reconcile with my father after his debacle and moral failures. And we lived out there for about, my wife and I lived out there for about a year until the weather was too much. And I really loved it out there because I got to play golf all the time. But after about four years of ministry at that church, in one year of marriage, God called me to another church in North County, San Diego. I wasn't sick at all, but within a year of me being at this new church, Right after Kelly had gotten pregnant with Noah, I received news that I needed another liver transplant, and we were devastated. But don't worry, I'm okay. I transferred to the South Bay after that and wanted to lead my own church. That was my plan. And so I worked at churches trying to grow in ministry until we lost our son Samuel. And through that tragedy, God moved all of us eventually to this church, and I've never loved a church more. I love serving with Paul and the elder board, and I love everything about this place. But none of these things were happenstance. All falls under the good providence of God. Looking back, it's easy to see God's providence amidst the struggles I faced. His kind hand, though it felt harsh, incredibly harsh at times, has been one of the faithfulness and grace that has pushed us forward. But it was his good providence nonetheless. As Proverbs 16.9 says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Ruth and Naomi were no different. They were experiencing God's hands of providence in intimate ways to bring about his glory through the line of generations to his son. They had no way of knowing, but God in his infinite wisdom and providence knew exactly what he was doing. And he knows exactly what he's doing with you. Exactly. You see, why do we forget that? 
God knows exactly what He's doing with us. We aren't lost. We aren't alone. God will never leave us or forsake us. That is a truth that we just have to submit to on the daily because we struggle with that concept. God, what's going on with my life? Things are not how I planned. And he says, when did you think your plan was going to happen? So we go to this next section of why do we think Ruth has found favor? It's an important question a lot of Christians these days struggle with. In verses 8 and 9, Boaz approaches Ruth and shows her great kindness, even though she is a foreigner. He provides food by telling her to work in his field and stay close behind his maidens. He provides protection by telling the young men and his servants not to touch her. And he provides for her thirst by telling her to drink from what the young men have drawn. So all of Boaz's wealth and godliness begin to turn for Ruth's favor. Now we come to the most important interchange in chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord." the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Ruth raises a question which turns out to be very profound. It's one that we all need to ask God. Hardly anything in life is more important. In fact, nothing is more important than the answer we get. It says that she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Ruth knows that she's a Moabitess. From a natural viewpoint, she has two strikes against her, being a woman and being a foreigner. She does not resent this, but accepts it. So as an Israelite, she does not expect any, or as a non-Israelite, she doesn't expect any special treatment. Her response to Boaz's kindness is astonishment. She's very different from most people today. We expect and demand kindness and are astonished when we don't get it. We are resentful when we don't get our rights. But Ruth expresses her sense of unworthiness by falling on her face and bowing to the ground. Proud people don't say thanks. Humble people are made even more humble by being treated graciously. Grace is not intended to lift us up out of lowliness. It's intended to make us satisfied and enjoying God. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Ruth asks why Boaz had treated her so graciously. And verses 11 and 12 are crucial. But Boaz answered her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband is fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Notice, when Ruth asks why she's being shown grace, Boaz does not answer, grace has no conditions. He doesn't say that. He answers her question, why, by saying, because you've loved Naomi so much that you are willing to leave your father and mother 
to serve her in a foreign land. Does this mean that the writer wants us to think of Ruth's love for Naomi as a work that merits Boaz's favor and the favor of God? Does he want us to think of grace as a kindness that we earn? I don't think so. If Ruth has earned the favor of Boaz, then we must think of her as a kind of employee, rendering service to Boaz, her employer, which is so valuable that he is indebted somehow to repay her. That's not the image the writer wants to create in our minds. Verse 12 gives another image that makes this employer-employee image impossible. Boaz says in verse 12 that God is really the one who is rewarding Ruth for her love for Naomi. He says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you, be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz is only the instrument of God that we'll learn later from Naomi in a moment. But now notice the words, the Lord repay you for what you've done. This verse does not encourage us to picture Ruth as an employee of God, providing needed labor that he needed her to do, which then, as an employer, rewards her with a good salary or a good wage. And it's crucial to understand, he says, whose wings you've come to take refuge. The pictures of God, of this great eagle, and Ruth is is threatened little eaglet, so to speak, coming to find safety under the eagle's wings. The implication of verse 12 is that God will reward Ruth because she has sought refuge in him and him alone. And this is a common teaching in the Old Testament. For example, Psalm 57.1 says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Notice the word for. Be merciful to me, for in you I take refuge. My soul takes refuge. Why should God show mercy to Ruth? Because she has sought refuge under his wings. She has counted his protection better than all the others. She has set her heart on God for hope and joy. And when a person does that, God's honor is at stake and he will be merciful. If you plead God's value as the source of your hope instead of pleading your value as the source of God's hope somehow, And this unwavering commitment to his own value or his own glory engages all his heart for your protection and joy. But we must ask Ruth how Ruth's love for Naomi and her leaving her own family relate to her seeking refuge under the wings of God. I think the most likely suggestion is that Ruth was able to leave the refuge of her father and mother in Moab because she had found a refuge which was far superior. Have you found that refuge, which is far superior? And evidently she saw a need in Naomi's life and sensed God's call to meet that need. So God moved, in a sense, toward Naomi. And in order to keep enjoying the refuge of God's wings, Ruth moves too and commits herself to care for Naomi with the care she's receiving from God. So the relationship between taking refuge under God's wings on the one hand, and leaving home to care for Naomi on the other hand, is that being under God's wings enabled Ruth to forsake human refuge and give herself in love to Naomi. So in other words, another way to say it is that leaving home and loving Naomi 
were the result and evidence of taking refuge in God. So the way I understand Ruth's question is, why have I found favor in your eyes and by proxy the favor of God? The answer that Boaz gives her and each and every single one of us is simple. When you take refuge in God, when you hide in Him, and you don't try to be the hero, not somebody who can boast about their great accomplishments or achievements, but you just go under His wings. You go under there and you draw upon his grace, and you draw upon his mercy, God's worth, not your worth, is put on display. It isn't a Marvel movie where we are all the heroes. And that's pretty much the opposite of what we're being told to today. Our entire culture lifts people up and celebrates people as if they were some sort of demigods. Look at most of the movies coming out. We love the stories where the hero rises above, and we want to be able to rise above. Sometimes as Christians, we Christianize it. We want to rise above our sin. We want to rise above our circumstances. We want to, we want to do something. But God's value and God's strength, God's wisdom, God's power are put on display when we take refuge in Him only so that we're calling attention to Him and not to ourselves. There's a difference between a works religion and a grace religion. And there's a disconnect between Christians at this point because mentally we all know this. We don't have a works religion here. But physically and emotionally, we don't. A works religion figures out ways to call attention to our achievements and our performances so God appropriately responds and rewards we may not say this. Of course not. We're reformed. Go to an OPC church. We would never say that. But God, in the heart, in our heart, God, I've been doing all these things. Why am I still in the same situation I'm in? I've been praying. I've been reading your word. I've been going to church every single week. Why am I not getting rewarded? how I want. We're like that rich young ruler, right? When Jesus confronts that rich young ruler and he says, all these things I've done, Lord, I'm good. Like I've done these things. I should be good. Right? I, I, I put on the Christian facade sometimes and I go to church and I do these things and I act. I'm good. But a grace religion says, I'm not good. I don't have any claim. I'm just going to call attention to God and His grace by hiding in Him. According to 2 Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. So her question still haunts us. Why has she found favor? The answer is that she has taken refuge under the wings of God and that this has given her the freedom and desire to leave home and love Naomi, but she has not earned mercy from God or Boaz. She is not their employee. They're not paying her wages for her work. On the contrary, she has honored them by admitting her need for their work and simply taking refuge in their generosity. Romans eleven thirty four 34-35 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? 
or who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. I think this is the message of the gospel in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God will have mercy on anyone who humbles himself like Ruth and takes refuge under the wings of God. This should leave us speechless at the mercy and grace of a holy God loving us and taking care of us. It's a sweet melody that lifts us up each new each new morning with mercies that are fresh. Jesus pleaded in Matthew 23 through 37, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing." All the Pharisees had to do was to take refuge under the wings of Christ. Stop justifying themselves. Stop relying on themselves. Stop glorifying themselves. But they would not. Ruth was not their model. No falling on their face before Jesus. No bowing down. No astonishment at grace. Here we see Ruth as the epitome of how we are to act and behave. God is not an employer looking for employees. He's an eagle looking for people who will take refuge underneath his wings. He's looking for people who will leave father and mother and homeland and anything else that may hold us back from a life of love under the wings of Christ. The condition of grace is this. The life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. It is his work that fulfilled the condition of grace. His wings of grace that we take refuge in by faith alone. Let me end by getting back to Naomi briefly. Boaz gives Naomi, or gives Ruth, all she can eat for lunch. She works till sundown. She returns to Naomi and gives her the leftovers from lunch and all the grain. She tells her what happened with Boaz. And in verse 20, Naomi's theology of God's sovereignty serves her well. Ruth 2.20, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness is not forsaking the living and the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. (laughs) Look at the... It's a complete 180. The kindness of the Lord is what leads us to repentance. Look at that 180. The Lord's kindness has not forsaken the living, Naomi and Ruth, or the dead, Elimelech, Chilion. It was the Lord who stopped the famine. It was the Lord who bound Ruth to Naomi in love. It was the Lord who preserved Boaz for Ruth. Ruth didn't just happen to come to a field that was random. I don't know what's going on in your lives, but nothing is random or by chance. The light of God's love has finally broken through to Naomi where she sees, oh my gosh, we are blessed. The Lord is kind. He is good to all who take refuge under his wings. So let us fall on our faces, bow before the Lord, confess our unworthiness, but his worthiness. Take refuge under the wings of God and be astonished by his grace. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for the examples that we have in Ruth and Boaz. But really, Lord, the example we have of you and Ruth. The whole book of Ruth is so powerful, Lord. It shows us your deep love, even amidst our sin, our waywardness, our misunderstandings about you. You still act and move in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves. I pray that we would stop trying to make ourselves glory, glorious. That we would seek to proclaim your name as the name above all names. Lord, that we would stop celebrating what the world is celebrating. But that we'd celebrate Christ. Lord, you are everything to us, and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. I pray that we would all hide underneath your wings so that you are magnified and glorified. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.